At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 688th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Greg Peterson coming to you from my new place in Asheville, North Carolina, and I'm with Don Titmus. Don's on that side. Hello, Don. Hey, Mesa, Arizona. Yeah, there you go. You know, this month, June and July, is always a favorite month of mine, even when I was living there in the heat, because it's a month that we talk about water. You know, it's uh, monsoons are coming, and we have to get really, really smart about where our water comes from. So that is what we're going to chat about today. Here, Janice did us up a little, uh, a little thing here. It says, free water for your garden. We're looking into rainwater, gray water, and maybe another couple of ways for growing your garden. Join Don and me, Farmer Greg, as we discuss alternative ways to get your garden water. On September 14th of 2014, yeah. we had the biggest rain on history in history in Phoenix. Okay. We got over three inches of rain at the urban farm. When I did the math on it, that was over 29,000 gallons in a two hour period. On your home site footprint. On my home site footprint. Exactly. Okay. Enough to fill Excellent. a, yeah, enough to fill a, uh, an Olympic size swimming pool. And I get this question a lot when I talk to people about, uh, rainwater harvesting. It's like, we don't get enough. Why bother? Hey, so I'm going to pitch that point. to you. We do have to. <laughs> I'm going to pitch that to you, Don. We don't get yeah. enough rain here in Phoenix. Why bother? Right. Literally because we have to. We can always go to the tap. And there's always going to be water coming out of the tap. He says, he says hesitantly. Yeah. Because, you know, if the power's down, then those generators are you know, are going to have to go to diesel because yep. uh, otherwise they're tied to the grid and they push water uphill from the water treatment plant and the source of the water to all the houses. Right. So it's lovely to have, you know, a cistern full of water, 400 gallons, 600 gallons as backup, because if you need to last for three days or a week or two weeks, if your grid goes down, then you've got a supply of water that you can process, not only for yourself, but also for your valuable plants. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's just the rainwater coming down from the sky on our property. Right. And there's multiple ways to manage it. I'm not a big... Actually, I want to detour here just a bit. I did recently uh, interview Brad Lancaster. And this interview will be in the Water Harvesting Summit coming up in two weeks. Showing off his shirt. Oh, is that a? That's oh, there an you original. go. 
Yeah. Oh, right. Rainwater harvesting for drylands and beyond. Yep. Very good. He told me, yeah. and he doesn't spout data unless it's the truth. He told me that there is enough water that falls on the city of Tucson to meet 100% of their landscape needs. I think he said landscape needs. He might have mm -hmm. said all of their needs, but. Well, and if you live like Brad, then yes. But most people don't live like Brad, so right. no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I can and, understand that. You know, it was a wake up in that moment. It was a wake up. It's like, you know, we just need to figure out how to manage our water better. And so yes. back, to, back to what I started a minute ago, I'm not a great big fan of tanks because tanks are expensive. And so I'm a big proponent of planting your water and then planting your plants around the water. You want to say something about that? Absolutely. So those, you know, in, in commercial terms, uh, farming terms, those are called earth tanks. So, mm. you know, I have an earth tank or maybe it's called a micro basin. I mean, the, these kind of terminal, terminal, terminologies kind of blend together. It depends mm -hmm. on how deep you go. If you've got a nice deep hole, then that's generally called an earth tank. If you've got a shallow depression, that's kind of called a micro basin. Mm. But both of those, no matter whether you're at home or not at home, those are going to harvest water and those are going to, you know, slow it, spread it, sink it and yep. then cover it. Right. That's that's our mantra. And so if we can slow the water down from dispersing, if we can spread it out over a larger area and we get it to sink in the ground, that's that's the plan. If we can do yeah. that over a whole home site, what lands there stays there. That's the ideal strategy, no matter where you live. You know, when I do garden consults with people in the desert, the first thing I look at is their landscape and what's on their landscape. And often yep. it's dirt or gravel. Yep. And With what mounds. I don't forget the mounds. Oh, and the mounds. Yeah. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> yeah. And what drives me really nuts is when people plant a tree on the top of the mound and put one drip emitter next to it. Yeah. 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 It's a lazy landscaper. Right. They, they don't bother to dig a hole. They just pile all the extra dirt around the tree <laughs> when, after they've taken the box off. I mean, yeah. it, seriously, come on. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> but you're, you're in the landscape business, so you've seen I that am. for years. Yeah. So what I tell people to do in their garden consults is add yes. 6 to 12 inches of woody mulch wherever there's dirt. Yes. Because then what you're doing, this acts as a sponge. Yes. It holds water. At the interface between the dirt and the woody mulch, it starts breaking down into amazing soil pretty quickly. Yes. We, you know, we all saw, for those of you that knew Jake Mace when he was in town, we all saw what he did with the dirt backyard inside of three years. And he put two to three feet of woody mulch down and right. turned his backyard into a jungle. Right. And so number one is figure out how to make your landscape hold on to that water. Absolutely. And so check out a website called chipdrop.com. It's a place that will give you free woody mulch. Yeah, it's a um, collection place for other um, tree surgeons and arborists and uh, mm -hmm. tree cutters. And they sign up to chip drop and then they get notification if someone in the neighborhood needs to get the mulch, the chipped mulch dropped off. Yeah. I, uh, yeah it's a great program. I, br I bring other people's leaves back home. Very, so right. I don't even do chip drop because I'm continuously bringing material back from my job sites. 
Yeah. And even though I have a mound at my place, like you, I've stacked up the mulch deeper and deeper and deeper, and that's the sponge. So I don't even have any runoff from my mounds now because my mulch is my sponge, yeah. which keeps the moisture where I need it. Amen. All right. So that's number one. Build mulchy soil to hold on to the water. Right. Okay. And that acts as the cover as well to reduce the evaporation. So and what dust. lands there needs to stay there. Yep. So you need to decrease the evaporation. Yep. It also knocks the dust down drama- oh, tremendously. Fantastic. And it's fertilizer for all the plants. Yeah. Because it's decomposing. Right. All right. So now we've, we've collected and directed the water. Right. We've given it something to soak into. Let's talk about tanks. Okay. Uh, you're, you're, you're a big tank guy. Well, so I'm, because I have a demonstration location, mm-hmm. I, I do have a selection of tanks, both in the ground, earth tanks, and above ground. So the ones in the ground, are that's immediately the rainwater is going to go straight into there off of my green metal roof, which you can see above my head yep. right there, <laughs> green metal roof, and which is a potable water harvesting surface. That's going to go straight into the ground, but I also have guttering over my impermeable layers, like my driveway or my patio or something like that. Mm, And that's being redirected into above ground containers. Right. We can call it a tank. We can call it a drum. We can call it all kinds of things, culvert that has been concreted into the ground. And that's to use in between the rain spells that we have. So we can kind of even the moisture content in the ground. Is that the short and sweet answer for you? Yeah. Well, and what do the tanks look like? Well, I have all kinds of drums that I have painted a similar color to the house. So they blend in. So I don't get any Mm. complaints. You need to blend them in. You can get small, like 55 gallon drums, which have a planting space on top, a four inch uh, planter space on top. So you can put plants in the top of the drum, which cascade down and then the drum, it looks like a planter, but the HOA has no idea that it's a water harvesting (laughs) drum. Nice. So there's all kinds of ways to do it. I've got the culverts, I've got the drums, I've got galvanized tanks. Our, uh, I got the bucket brigade. So right. just line oh, right. the buckets up, five-gallon buckets, free out of the dumpster. Just line them up underneath the drip line of the house. And then every rain that comes down, you've got a the bucket brigade full, ready to go. You just move them out to where you need where them you most. Uh, uh, two or three days later. No more longer than three days when you have mosquitoes. When you have, exactly. And Scott Murray, our buddy over in San Diego, is yeah. using the 300-gallon tanks. What are those called? Bushman's type. Tanks? No, no. These are the these are the ones that stuff comes in. Oh, oh, oh oils oh, and stuff comes in. You're talking about the international shipping containers. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. International like, bulk containers. They're 275 gallons, or actually, right. what they are is a thousand liters. So it's a oh, global standard for a liquid shipping container of a thousand liters, AKA oh, 275 good. gallons. 
Yeah, and those are the white ones, and they usually have the a white ones, metal, yeah. um, metal structure the, around them. Aluminium frame around them, yeah. And I know there's a name for them. Somebody out there knows the name. Can you put it in the chat? I'm, I'm drawing a blank on it. All right, so we talked covered tanks a lot. Let's talk about gray water. Sure. IBC tanks. Thank you, Jessica. Um, and I want to. I do want to do a shout out to you. Don and I recorded a class the other day called Humanure. Mm. So saving water. Uh, saving water. So that's not quite gray water. That's black water. But it, you know, come to the summit here in two weeks and watch his really informative class on <laughs> on Humanure. But what We've is got the scoop on the poop? There you go. <laughs> what what is gray water, Don? Gray water. Okay, this is second time use of tap water. So we can use tap water once mm -hmm. and let it go down the sewer, or we can use it as many times as we can, stacking the functions of the water itself, the function of water. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes. I want you to, to explain stacking functions. It's one of my favorite permaculture concepts. Well, well you and have the best example. You're evap to your fish tank, to your uh, yep. plant, the herb garden. You, you yep. go for that. That's the best example. All right. So stacking functions is when you use one asset multiple times. And what I used to do at the urban farm is I used to collect the water from the evaporative cooler. It would go into a tank where I was, and this was a long time ago, where I was raising fish. And then it would go into the garden. And also the condensation water, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, would go into the same system. So condensation water is uh, distilled water. Good, so good. it would help offset some of the, the salts in the gray, water, the gray water coming off of the evaporative cooler. But that water got used three times. It got used to cool the air in the house. It got used in the fish pond. And then it got used to water the garden. So that is what mm -hmm. stacking functions is. So back to my question, gray water. Okay, so my example is similar to yours. I, I have my tap water goes up onto the roof where I have my evap cooler, mm -hmm. and that goes into the reservoir at the bottom, which is circulating, and the water is mm -hmm. coming into the house. But every morning, I have a flushing system. So the whole reservoir pan is flushed out down the hose pipe that goes to my citrus tree. Oh. Uh, to the west of my house. Nice. So I'm, and then that water gets renewed every day. So fresh water is being used in the house and gray water goes to the tree, which is shading my house. Mm -hmm. So I have multiple functions on multiple levels. Yeah. So in gray water is any water in your house that goes down any drain that is not your kitchen sink or your toilets. Uh-huh. So and right. in Arizona, you'll have to check in your state because I know that we got people all over the country. You'll have to check in your state, but in Arizona, it is legal to use gray water. Yes. But so I have like two bowls in my kitchen sink, and I'll uh -huh. have one to wash and one to rinse. And then those bowls go outside and put on the tropicals. Tropicals love, they don't care if it's dirty water. You just throw it on there and they'll eat everything that's in there. Yeah. And the other thing I do in the summertime is I have an outdoor shower, but I don't have it heated. 
but the Arizona sun heats up the water. And so from <laughs> June until the end of September, right. I take me outside to shower where the water then goes immediately out to the great big huge pine tree that I have. To me, that's to, that's gray water, second water use for my plants because I'm letting it drop straight onto the landscape. Yeah, well, and so there's two ways to do gray water. You can either replumb your house. Yeah. Or you can move the facilities outside. Yeah, yeah. Put your, put your washing machine outside. Yeah. And then move the hose around various trees and, you know, do a rotation system. And then you got even distribution and you're, you're reusing a resource that would have been wasted and gone down the sewer. Amen. All right. And let's, let's go on to storm water. Storm water. Storm okay. water. You want to talk about curb cuts? Sure. This is uh, one of Brad's innovations that he yep. came up with. He got so sick and tired of watching the water go straight down the gully of the curb in the city of Tucson where he lived. Yep. He says, I'm going I'm to intercept that. So at night, he got out with a concrete cutting saw and he, he cut a V in the, in the concrete curve. And then he was able to move the water out of the gully and into his landscape, which his landscape extended right out to the road curve. Mm -hmm. And so he made some micro basins where he had native trees planted in the micro basins. And so that, that storm water went uh, into that bed, circulated around, come back out, and was feeding it. He had multiple cuts and multiple microbasins uh, across the east side of his house. And so then the city of Tucson said, oh, we like that idea. We're going to adopt that. So the city right. of Tucson you know, adopted that plan and started doing it all around the city. Mesa started doing it, you know, all kinds of places have now adopted that strategy. Yes. So there's two things about that. First of all, he was very clear about this when I interviewed him that you don't want to be doing it that way if you can all get around <laughs> it. And number two, and this is really important how you design your system. And he talks about this in his books, Rainwater Harvesting for Drylands and Beyond. Right. These basins. Oh, there we go. Uh, kind of. There, there you go. Nice. These basins have only an entrance. There's no right. exit. Right. So that the water doesn't flow through. So the way he's got his, his, his basins designed is that when the water flows by his house, the basin fills up. When the basin is full, no more water goes in and it just keeps going down the street. So it doesn't overflow. So, so it doesn't got, overflow. He's got his exactly. level regulated. And... The other thing is, is you don't want to, I wouldn't plant tomatoes and lettuce and that kind of stuff. This is for watering native trees. Yes. So for you know, shade. Because, yes. because for shade primarily. Yeah, exactly. All right, cool. So we got rainwater, we yes. got gray water, we got yes. storm water. Yes. Let's talk really quickly about condensation water. Sure especially in areas with uh, air conditioners or heat pumps. Yeah, exactly. Condensation water is, so just like with a glass of water, when you have ice in the water, you get 
water on the outside. That's called condensation. Same thing happens with your air conditioning. And it's, it often is found dripping off some corner of your house. Right. If you're in the desert. And what I'd suggest you do is put a bucket underneath it and see how much you get. Right. On really humid days. Thank you. On really humid days, we could get upwards of five gallons of water coming off of the condensation. Yeah. That is a lot of free water. Right. And I, I just have like a barrel or a bucket. You can put a tap on it, which is use it as an interceptor or the mm-hmm. surge pot. And then open up the tap and run the hose out to the nearest tree. And then it's done and dusted. I don't have to manage it anymore. Right. So those permaculturists, we we were just designing the landscape to do less work, not more work. Mm-hmm. So the more passive applications we can do, permaculture-wise, permaculture design-wise, the easier it is for the homeowner to live in that location. Yeah, cool. Any other kinds of water? Well, I when I lived at the urban farm, I had flood irrigation, which is kind of crazy in the desert, but it was a water right that came with the property. Any other thoughts on where to get water from? Well, I'm not going to call them crazy. I'll call them fanatics. Okay. So we have a few fanatics. There was a, a man that was known to us by the name of permaculture dan out in gilbert yes and he used to put sandbags out in the curb when it rained and then he put a small Uh. pump and so he was pumping the water up onto his landscape from the curb of where he was creating a pool of water with his sandbags excellent other people's water and just like other people's water from your neighbor next door who might happen to be higher than you Right. But if you if you talk to your neighbor nicely and say, hey, I, I noticed that you're getting you're wanting to move all the water out of your landscape. Could I have some of that water you know, <laughs> and put it on my landscape because I really want the water? And oh, by the way, I see your shed right there. Would I be OK if I put a gutter on your shed and redirect the water from your shed, which is uh, on our boundary line, and put the water? Oh, I got some trees right next to your shed on the other side. Do you mind if I put a gutter up? That's creative. Well, how cool is that? Wow. All right. So we have a bunch of questions and, st- and th- things here. Annette says... <laughs> People in New Mexico who live in earthships use only rainwater. Yes. If you don't know what an earthship is, Google it. Look on YouTube. They're absolutely amazing. If I was 20 years younger and had the energy, I'd go build one because they're so, well, cr- so incredibly cool. They're in Taos. And so they got yep. more rain than we have here, but that's, that's changing. Right. As, as our future goes along. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm going to keep my ear to the ground and see what happens with these earth ships to see whether they can make it in their new dynamic of oh, yes. what rain they're getting now. Yeah. So they may have to change their strategy a little bit, but it is a wonderful idea to have a water harvesting roof set up to where it goes into internal water tanks in the house itself. Right. So amazing technology yes low tech not high tech it's all low tech it's all low tech yeah you should yeah you should check it out they're so incredibly cool not you don everybody out there listening let's see donna says tap 
tap water also has chlorine in it, not as yeah. good as rainwater. Yeah, there you go. And uh, fluoride. And some has fluoride. Which is um, a neurotoxin, people. Keith says use chip drop and he uses chip drop in Washington and Oro Valley and it works great. Judith says watch the videos on chip drop site. You can oh, get up really? to 20, 25 cubic yards of shredded wood chips. And that yeah. is a huge pile. Oh, 20 yards. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Let's see here. Keith says, I just installed a laundry to laundry to landscape system in my house in Oro Valley mm. to feed several fruit trees and some deciduous ones, deciduous ones as well. Excellent. Works, works well with the mulch basins he's created. Excellent. That's great. Jennifer wants to know, can we use gray water for edibles? Not really. The well, it depends. Is, it, it depends. depends. You, yes, you nailed it. So on things that produce fruit, absolutely. Uh -huh. Tomatoes, yes. Berries, yes. Moringa, yes. There are certain things that produce fruit, trees. fruit or pods or something. Yeah, fruit trees. Then, yeah, all the fruit trees, all the citrus, absolutely no problem because you're eat, not eating the leaf, you're eating the product of the tree or shrub. Right. So, yes. So not your lettuce, not your kale, not your chard, none of those green leafies. Roots, maybe. But I would tend to not put it in the vegetable garden plot itself. I would put it out into the food forest rather than the veggie garden. Yeah. Because it's going to stink that. if you're going to build up it's, and it's, it's going to create more salts yeah. that are going to affect your soil condition. Audrey says, Don has seen my property. Property. I'm still taking loadfuls of chip drops. <laughs> All right. That's for, that's in the chat. If you wouldn't mind, put your questions over here in the Q&A. I just caught a few of those that I thought were good to speak okay. to. Judith Eileen wants to know, please cover how to get your, get the water, your garden guide. If you go to urbanfarmwater.com, I'll also put the link in the chat box. Is that all, word, uh, all one word? Urbanfarmwater.com is all one word. Yep, you right. can uh, find it there. Catherine says, what water timers do you recommend that don't reduce the water pressure that's already low because it's from a slightly elevated tank? Any thoughts on that, Don? Water um, timers? Well, I'm my pressure? own timer. I mean, I, you know, I'll put an alarm on my phone and say, okay, it's time to go out and water if I'm doing anything special or I'm taking, I'm, I'm nursing, you know, a, right. a, a wilted plant or something like that. I'll put mm -hmm. that up. Now, you know, battery operated timers and and uh, electric operated timers, you can have sensors on them when, you know, if it's rained, then yeah. they're not come on. That will save water from the city water supply. If you're putting battery operated timer on a rainwater harvesting tank so that it just runs out into your area once or twice a week for a short period of time. That is a low pressure situation. That's right. Yeah. You have to keep the size of the pipes as large as possible at the beginning and then gradually decrease the further it goes away from the house. Oh my gosh. That, that way you can get a larger volume of water initially and then uh, keep the pressure, pressure along down. the pipe as it goes further and further away. Makes perfect sense. Awesome. Thank you. 
Catherine says, and I'm going to have more questions for you than an answer for you here, Catherine. What, if anything, kills algae without harming the garden biome? Why, Catherine, do you want to kill algae? That would be my question. So if you can pop well, that in the Q&A, because algae's not bad unless it's clogging up your tank. And right. what, do you do, what do you do in tanks to keep algae out, Don? Well, first, you've got to have a tank that does not allow the sun to get to it. That's the one issue with the IBC tanks mm-hmm. is that it's translucent. So you got to paint those things or you got to wrap it. Yeah. So you can you can wrap it with some uh, reflective stuff and that'll keep some of the heat out. Bubble wrap it. And then you want to cover the top so you keep the sun off the top. And that's good. Just keep your outlet or inlet open. I do the same with my culvert galvanized steel tanks. I have a solid roof over mm-hmm. the top of the tank and the mosquito net on the top. Yep. yep. So, but if you want algae and if you're growing fish, then algae is good for your fish tank. Right. Algae is good for your compost pile. So algae is a resource as long as it's used appropriately. There's no pollution. There's only pollution if you don't have it set up to be a resource for another system. Yep. So that's another permaculture thing. All things have a purpose and a place. You got to figure it out, not make the thing figure you out. <laughs> right. Like water. Yeah. You Catherine, design the water. Don't let water design you. Catherine says we have big dark tanks, but the previous owner never cleaned them. Hmm. Uh, okay. Okay. So you yeah, that, that you might need to get a uh, you know jet sprayer and spray that tank down and, and clean it out good one time because if you got some spores of the algae in there, that's going to keep trying to grow. Yeah. So you do have to get in there. Don't use chlorine. Don't use chlorine. <laughs> Let's see. Andrew says, "What do you think about soaker hoses for watering the garden and trees?" Andrew, I'm going to invite you to do two things. Go to urbanfarmwater.com. And you will learn and get to see a video about my favorite way to water a garden. The problem with soaker hoses is that they put out a lot of water at the beginning and not so much water at the end. So the water, it doesn't water even. Plus they get clogged. They clog pretty quickly. And they tend to need pressure rather than they're not really good passive flow. Yeah. Audrey says collecting water and using it for gardens makes sense, but can it be used for inside use? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. She said it needs to be filtered, I'm guessing. No, not if you're using it back on the garden again. So whenever you make compost tea, you need to use rainwater or dechlorinated water. If you have fish tanks inside the house, you need Mm -hmm. rainwater. If you have indoor house plants that are cleaning the oxygen and the air in your house for more oxygen, then you want to use rainwater, not chlorinated water. So yes. That's, the, that's another reasons why you want to harvest some rainwater for those purposes. Right. Well, and you can also drink it. If you're going to drink it, you want to filter it. Yes. Um, a, a buddy of mine from high school, now you got to know that was many decades ago, said to me on Facebook one day, hey, Greg, what's this I hear about using rainwater and it has nitrogen fertilizer in it? Yeah. It's not nitrogen fertilizer. It's not nitrogen it's, fertilizer. No, it's but asthma, atmospheric nitrogen. Atmospheric so nitrogen. Yeah, there the we gases, go. the gases, gaseous nature of nitrogen is in the atmosphere. And so as it's 
rain's falling, it, it's collecting that. And that's that's why the, the garden smell and the, the desert smells so wonderful yeah. when it rains. Especially if it's lightning. Oh, yeah. The lightning activates the yeah. nitrogen. Now you got negative ions, which is yeah. beneficial to all beings. Yeah. So I thought that was, I thought that was pretty cool. All that right, we got a couple cool. questions. I love nature. Right? <laughs> well, that, you know, we listened to a podcast recently. I think it was on, I'll look it up here in a minute. It was called All Things Come in Trees. Yes. And it was talking about the atmospheric stuff that happens in forests and trees is part of the reason we wanted to move here. And it was an amazing podcast. It was on Shortwave, an NPR show called, it's a science show called Shortwave. So check that out. All things come in trees. It, it was an cool. amazing one. Cool. So we, we got a couple of questions here from Miss Jewel. She yes. said, Greg, I capture the water in the kitchen sink that I rinse dishes with to water okay. plants outside which is usually clear. The water's usually clear. I'm assuming that's, that that, that's yep. what that means. I also use dishwashing water to water plants. She uses the Oasis brand soap. Yes, definitely um, the, uh, the biocompatible yep. soaps and cleaners. Then you can still use the water, yes. Yeah. And mm. you know, every time you, you boil potatoes, don't throw the water away. Oh, you know, dude. Pour it out into a bowl under the colander. And then pasta. take that water outside as well. That that's pasta water. Absolutely. Pasta water. Yes, don't throw it away. It's got <laughs> nutrients in there. St we're stacking functions. This Absolutely. is a permaculture concept called stacking functions. Yes. Jewel says yes. I do that when cooking in her Instapot. Yep, love it. And she also uses any water to use clean veggies with gets poured outside. Well, one thing you might consider doing is we clean our veggies outside. You know, when I was at the urban sink. farm yeah, at an, outdoor, an outdoor, outdoor sink. Kitchen. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All <laughs> right. Jewel says, this is probably off topic, but in 40 plus years, the leaves on my orange tree have never turned yellow. Uh, yeah, good when soil. They used, when they used to wilt needing water, but that doesn't happen anymore following your watering schedule, my fruit tree watering schedule. First of all, so we <laughs> talk fruit trees a lot. The first, the second Tuesday of the month is our, fruit tree chat. Right. And what Jules talking about is that we put a basin, at least a six to eight foot diameter basin around the tree, put lots of woody mulch in it. All the leaves go into that. It acts as a sponge and it eliminates a lot of your fruit tree problems when you're doing it that way. She said, but I was out yesterday and I'm noticing a, a leaves yellowing like in the lemon tree has done, hasn't done it in the longest time. Jules, oh. send me a picture. Older leaves or younger leaves? Yeah, see, that's the thing. Is it old? That's a good question. Older leaves or younger mm. leaves? Because old leaves have a tendency. Citrus or evergreen? Oh, she said the older leaves. Okay, check at the end of the. I had somebody email me this the other day. They sent me a picture, and their older leaves were turning yellow, which can be heat stress. But there was new green growth at the end. Yeah. So that's what you're looking for. You're fine. Cool. Yeah. So it sounds like you're fine and. I know Jewel, she follows our, our watering and fertilizing schedule. So I'm sure your trees are doing great. All right. Looks like that's a wrap. We've been going for 40 minutes, Don. It's amazing how quickly time flies. I do want to do a couple of things. First of all, urbanfarmwater.com. That's your water 
gardening guide. We have coming up in just two weeks, Don and I uh, do our annual water harvesting summit and rainwater harvesting course or water harvesting course. Yeah. And you, if you go to, I think I'm going to type it in real quick here, waterharvestingsummit.com to sign up. It's a free event. No, it's not free. It's no, not. People have to listen. They got to do something. Oh, there you go. It's, no. Yeah. You do have to show up and listen and then do something. Show up and listen. The, <laughs> the summit, yeah, exactly. The summit is free. We have a water harvesting course that you can sign up for and learn all kinds about water harvesting. A course that Don and I put together over the past 10 years and we recorded it a couple of years ago. So waterharvestingsummit.com for the free water harvesting summit. And I'm just going to do a shout out. We do a lot of these free events. And if you wouldn't mind throwing us some love, if you go to urbanfarm.org forward slash donate, I'll see here, farm.org forward slash. You've got so many addresses. I can't believe you can. (laughs) I know. Yeah, that's it. Urbanfarm.org forward slash donate. Well, they all, they all revolve around, you know, the urban farm, the urban farm water and .com and urban uh, water harvesting summit are, those are landing pages where people go to specifically find out things like the water harvesting summit and like that. So thank you all for joining us. We appreciate it next week, next week, next week. Next week, I'm off on Tuesday. It is 10 minutes to nine here, Don. Wow. Yeah. So next week, I'm off. And then we start the second Tuesday of uh, July will be our tree chat. And then our our water harvesting summit. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you very much, Don. We greatly appreciate you. Absolutely. And and, uh, we'll catch you next time. All right. Have a good one. Thanks, buddy. See you later. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.